Get your Bibles out. I'd like to dig into the Word this morning. I'm not sure if Ross and Brittany are in the house. I couldn't see them this morning, but they're getting married this week on Friday, so please, please pray for Ross and Brittany and the Reynolds family. You would do that. That'd be great. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So an old man called the police. <laughs> they delayed. He called again. And, uh, and, and, uh, and then he said to them, don't worry, I shot them. <laughs> and they came immediately. <laughs> and the police came and they said to him, I thought you said you shot them. He said, I thought you said we had no available men. The stories we tell, hey? Um, we, we want to dig into the heart of the gospel this, this morning. What actually keeps us here? What actually keeps us going on year after year, decade after decade, what's it really all about and how, how significant is that? So we, we, we started a little series where we're having a fresh look at the gospel that transforms lives and teaches us to, um, to confess and to overcome offenses. So we, we're going to be processing that over, over a few weeks so that we can grow more mature and not just grow older. You, you all know that you can make the mistake of growing, growing old without growing up. God save us from that mistake. And maybe we become sweeter as we grow. Uh, so little Temmie, age four, was with her mother when they met an elderly, rather wrinkled woman that her mom knew. And Temmie looked at her for a while and then asked, why doesn't your skin fit your face? <laughs> kids, kids say the darndest things, eh? Why doesn't your skin fit your face? <laughs> So James, also age four, is listening to a Bible story. His dad uh, read, The man named Lot was warned to, to take his wife and flee out of the city, but his wife looked back and was turned to salt. Little James asked, What happened to the flea? <laughs> May God help us to uh, keep focus on the things that really, really matter. Okay, so uh, if we think about the gospel and the coming of Jesus to our, to our lives and the way that he, he uh, instituted a plan of salvation, essentially there are three dominant views of what's called the atonement, or as sometimes understood as the atonement with God, where he reconciles us to God. And they are these, that he came to set an example how to live as a faithful son of God. And that's absolutely true. But it's not enough. There's more to that. But that's part one of, it, of atonement, healthy atonement doctrine is that he came and, uh, and he says, be whole, be perfect, even as, as your Father in heaven is whole, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So he understood his role as being an example. The second one is the substitutionary role, the vicarious sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. What he did on the cross, he's, as John the Baptist, his cousin, said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the second dimension of, our, of, of the gospel that we proclaim. Not only has it come to show that we can live differently if we will live life in union with God, we can actually be forgiven of all the sin, past, present, and listen to this, without license, future sin. Huh? Isn't that good news? 
And the third dimension of the atonement understanding is what's called in theological circles Christus Victor, the, the victorious fact that he rose again. And he, he will never forsake us, never leave us. And the cross uh, is now empty. The tomb is now empty. And he's, he's alive. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. But if Christ be raised, we're the beginning of a new generation, those who believe in him. That is, is in essence, is the heart of the atonement. And um, in 1 John 3, 8, it says that this is why the Son of God came, to destroy the works of the evil one, to destroy it in all three ways. To destroy it by way of saying there is no excuse for that. This is how a faithful son of the house lives. To destroy the, the plans of the evil one by bringing condemnation for our sin, by paying the penalty of our sin, and, and destroying our, our despair by coming and being Christ's victor. So it's a powerful gospel we've, we proclaim. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And 1 John 3, 8 that I just quoted goes on to say, and then no one who continues in sin can actually be claimed to, claimed to be born again because in the very action of your continued sin, you are despising what is done for you. Imagine, imagine you committed a, uh, one of the many frauds that happen in our nation and, and, and you, you had a, a big blot against your name, maybe multi-billions, billions. Imagine that. And someone just really felt so compassion, so much compassion for you that went and paid the penalty. Not only the restitution, but the full amount that was ascribed to, to the penalty factor. And, it's, and you got the message. He sent you a letter to say, I've done it. You're free. But imagine the guilt, the shame, the condemnation, the confusion, the complexities of that past demeanor of yours, that past... Uh, action of yours sitting on you and you still live with the shame of that and you, you, don't, you don't embrace your freedom and the guy who made, who made the sacrifice to pay for all of that huh, is wondering why he didn't take his offer because huh? he's not withdrawing it, it's there and that's the gospel here's the problem if you, go with me to Romans chapter 6 if you will if you've got your Bibles there, I want to show you something that Paul uh, labors and I've been dwelling on Romans 6 for a couple of weeks because it's been such an intriguing uh, depth scripture what shall we say then shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase and then verse 2 uses a, a very explosive word megonoito in Greek which uh, translated into South African English would be damn it to know it's, 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 uh, it's, he's making a, a very pivotal point there is no way, he says, that, if, that you would have appreciated the fullness of what Christ has done if you find it easy just to continue in sin, which is the same thing that John was saying. On this point, Pauline and Johannine theology concur. If Christ has come and is the foundation of our forgiveness, is also the foundation of our freedom. We don't continue in the sin that we have had paid off. And it's not because we're obliged, but because we're grateful. The reason we change is not to say, please, God, can't we please just be forgiven? He's done it. The old way says, do, do, do. The new way says, done. And that's why although we value um, accountability and, and external structures that help us to find our new way, essentially what we're looking for in Fountain Vineyard and the gospel we're proclaiming and we believe to be the true gospel of Jesus is a change of heart. If the heart is changed, behavior will change. And we don't want to bring change to behavior by outward pressure. We want to bring change to behavior by creating a, the grace that Paul says, the grace of God that has appeared to all now, 
teaches us to say no to ungodliness. What teaches us to say no? Not the pressure of others who police us. Because pastoral care is not police work. It's grace declaration. When people can see the kindness of God, faith rises. The word of Christ by which faith is birthed in us, Romans 10, 17. It's amazing. This I just love this gospel so much. I just want to come down on this thing. And, and he goes on to speak of two particular words, and I want to zoom in on those in, in Romans 6. Verse, just pick up on one of them. Verse 6, he says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with. We should no longer be slaves to sin. We know it. There's something that, that we can know. And on the basis of that, you go to verse 11 through 13. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you may obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves. This is how you reckon on what you know. By offering yourselves to God, as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. If your emphasis on the, is on accountability factors and structural things to help you be free, you're actually still looking at finding ways to manage sin. But we're saying the gospel we proclaim is not a gospel of sin management. It's sin mastery. It, it will no longer be our master. We'll, we'll master it. I want to say to you, there's not a single sin on the planet and not a single addiction on the planet from which the gospel of Jesus does not set us free. It sets us free from all of it. It's a powerful thing, this. Hebrews 7.25 talks about he can save us completely. I've been having discussions with some who, who think... Well, I'm never going to get free of that. So let me just learn how to contain it and manage it and make it not look so offensive and, and, uh, and still, you know, sin in moderation. <laughs> let my sin just be moderated. I'm saying it doesn't have to be in your life at all. You can be free. Hey? Isn't that amazing? Hey? I want you to catch the depth of this. this is, we're diving in deep. Uh, hey, David? Come on, man. You know, in Malawi, if you say a point that impresses, you say, hit that nail. That's what they say in Malawi, sir. Thank you, brother. Or Zono, has the given. Zono, true, true, true. Um, so, let's just recognize this. This story comes, in Pauline's thinking, comes from when, remember Joseph, uh, who became the prime minister of Egypt and 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 because of his faithfulness to God and resilience, was able to develop storehouses that fed people. His own family came into Egypt and was, were helped. And his family and all the multiple generations stayed there for 400, and, 400 years, 400 and some years. Uh, and in the process, the pharaohs changed and some became oppressive. And eventually, God's people were completely in, in misery and, uh, and God began to call Moses to uh, bring about a freedom for his people. And remember the ten plagues. Each of those plagues was tackling the different deities and philosophies and idolatries of the land of Egypt that were keeping the, the Hebrew people in similar oppression to the Egyptian people. And, and, and each plague was, was God saying, can you not see that I am the true God? I, these, these have no power no power, and he was breaking one by one the different holes of the, of the deities. And finally, the last one was the plague of death. And 
the Hebrews were given an opportunity to switch on a faith relationship with God by taking a lamb, killing it, taking its blood and painting the doorposts of their houses. That was called the Lamb of God that would save them from the plague of death. And that's what happened on the Passover night. Remember they, they ate the lamb and they ate unleavened bread so it would be a, a quicker meal and they'd be ready to, to leave because from that moment they would be able to go. And that's exactly what happened. That night the firstborn of every creature and, and human that did not stay in a house with the blood of the lamb on the doorpost was actually taken out and killed. And it was a time of great mourning for unbelievers, but a great time of rejoicing for the Hebrew people, the people of faith. And they were able to walk into freedom. And they, they very soon crossed the Red Sea, remember? And Peter writes of that as their baptism. So they believed, they turned their backs on, on, on Egypt and Egyptian life, that's repentance. And then they crossed through the water of the Red Sea and, and began to learn the faith journey. I want to pick up on that. Because that's, that's knowing... They know what happened on, on Passover night. It's knowing, Romans 6.6. 6. And from verse 11 is the reckoning. How do we now appropriate that? How do we live as free people? Because here's the deal. Getting out of Egypt, it's just a quick thing, a one-night Passover. Huh? But getting Egypt out of you, huh? out of me, it could have been an 11-day journey, but it turned out to be 40 years. And what were the things that kept it uh, in that place where they were so tardy to appropriate it. They were, they were sinning that grace may abound. And the gospel is saying, no, no, you, you're despising the grace of God. I want to take you to that quick picture, if I can, just uh, for a couple of moments. And if you've got your uh, Bibles in, in uh, uh, Exodus, go with me to Exodus. I want to show you some of the Exodus 15 to 17, the just sporadic verses that speak of some of the, just some of them. I'm going to give you five of those factors that made it hard, and maybe we could relate to that. Things that have offended us, things that keep us trapped in places of bitterness and, and condemnation. Uh, from Instead of offering ourselves to God, we find ourselves still trapped. We, we pay lip service to the new, but we live like we're still in Egypt. God wants to set us free from that. He really does. So, um, in, in, just to remember this, if there's, if there's a verse that you probably all know it by now, Galatians 2.20. This is the life I now live. I live in faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. It's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. Remember that. That's the heart of this thing. How do we get there? How do we, what do we need to set aside? So I'm going to give you just five. The first one, in, and they've just come into this, uh, into this journey. The journey has just begun. Moses um, and, and Miriam sing a, an amazing song of God's victory uh, on the Passover night, on the crossing of the Red Sea, where Pharaoh and his army was drowned. And it's amazing. This uh, first half of Exodus 15 is all about this song of victory. And um, watch this in verse 22. He led the Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled to the desert without finding water. When they came to Mara, they could not drink the water because it was bitter. And that's why it's called Mara, a place of bitterness. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? And Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. And he goes on to say, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his eyes, uh, this is verse 26, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, uh, I will not bring on you the, any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. What he's, what he's addressing here is their, is their addiction to victimhood. 
the pity party syndrome, eh? And that's one of our major blockages in appropriating our salvation. We see ourselves as victims. No matter what crisis you have been through, if you cast yourself in the context of, of self-pity and victimhood, you will retard your appropriation of your freedom. Those who are involved in counseling and praying with people, you'll, you'll, you'll know how often that is our reality, is that when someone is stuck in victimhood, the, 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 the journey through to f- the freedom of faith is a much slower one. If you can repent of that. And how do they, what help were they given here? Moses was told by God to take a piece of wood and throw it into the water. And many, many Bible scholars think that that's a forecast or a, a type of the cross. If you look at the cross, you give up your sob story. The passion of the Christ. If ever you could have seen yourself as a victim, think again of the passion of the Christ. Eh? The Mel Gibson deal. Eh? Just think of that. Think of the, the, the cross. Throw the, the wood in the water and you'll stop. You'll, you'll, pity, you'll cancel the pity party. Eh? And in that moment, if you look again to the, the old rugged cross, eh? there's just something about the rugged cross that breaks all the holes, the stranglehold of our attachment to victimhood. That's the first thing I want to just bring attention to as, as a barrier to our appropriating, to our offering ourselves. The second one, going on in, in, in uh, chapter 16 of Exodus, verse 9. Now this is a, a, a they're complaining yet again, but this time um, they're complaining because of manna and quail, and, and they just, is this all we've got? And, and they're complaining about this all the time. There's so many complaints Uh, Moses told Aaron, verse 9, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And that word grumbling comes up a a few times further down. There's just something about a persistent complaint or critical spirit um, that also leaves us with our blame-shifting focus. It leaves us in bondage where we're finding fault instead of, you know, whenever we... I want to point something out to Dione, and I pointed it. I've always got to remember I've got three fingers pointing back to me, huh? and that's true for all of us. Huh? Uh, instead of blaming others and making, uh, you know, putting the, the issue out on others, which is what happened in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve fell with their own first sin, there was this blame shifting. But when we take ownership ourselves and we stop being critical towards others, we find ourselves starting to grow into maturity, and we stop uh, trying to control the behavior of others. So that's the, the second thing, this tendency towards complaint and blame shifting. Uh, and say, I am what I am because of my parents and my history, my circumstance, my, my government, my country. And you want to blame something else when actually the Lord is saying to us, you know, happiness is a choice. We've got choices we can make. Now, how do we respond in a way to say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you through this time. I trust you with those around me who don't always get it right, but uh, whose hearts are right. This is what counts. The third hindrance that will stop us, barrier to us appropriating what we know Jesus did for us, it hinders us beginning to walk in a new way, is the, if you go into chapter 16, we're still there, verse 26 onwards, the unbelief um, and that, is, that is demonstrated by the fact that God gave them manna to eat on a daily basis. And then he says from verse 26 onwards, they were supposed to only take this uh, for six days of the week, and only take enough each day for that day. That's give us this day our daily bread. But on, on the sixth day, they could take enough for the seventh. And it wouldn't go bad. Every other day, if they took more than enough, it would go bad. But except for the Sabbath. 
God wanted to teach his people the value of faith-induced restfulness. Sabbatical living, where we learn to spell faith, R-E-S-T, according to Hebrews chapter 4. That's what faith is all about, learning to live restfully and leaving things to God. And, you know, those of us who have been raised in Western worlds, in Greek-based thinking, worldviews, we see faith as, as, a, as a noun, a concept. But in Hebrew thinking, faith is actually a verb. It's, it's, it's what you actually do. So I can't say I believe one way, but actually live another. What they will unknow is that I believe according to my life, to what I live, not according to what I say. Hebrew point of view. So when he's, he's questioning their, their disobedience here, because this comes up a few times on this particular point, their disobedience uh, took away their restfulness. They, be, they became driven with uh, compulsiveness. And, uh, and although the, the, the unity, the restfulness of God, we're encouraged to be earnestly seeking it um, and, and applying effort to achieve it. So you've got to budget for it, plan for it. And that's what you needed to do. Plan on the sixth day that you'd have enough for the seventh. You wouldn't have to go out and, and find the manna again because you're going to live restfully. And you plan for it. You, so it's, it's not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. Because it wouldn't work any other day. It only worked on pertaining to sabbatical living. So I believe that sabbatical living is part and parcel of, of the gospel. So Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 11. If anyone is, uh, is weary burdened, heavy laden, come to me, take my yoke on you and learn of me for I'm meek and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls. You'll find a, a Sabbath. So unbelief, the lack of capacity to trust God, to rest in him will, will rob us of the benefits of our atonement. Uh, the fourth one, just to keep it rolling in terms of this Israeli experience, um, is, is uh, in chapter 17, uh, where they come up against the first test of opposition by foreign nations, the Amalekites oppose them, and uh, they have to do battle. Now, it's quite early on in their, in their wandering, and there's a battle looming, and uh, as they look at this battle, you pick up from verse 11 through 25, um, as they went to this battle, Moses felt this time he was going to raise his hands as a as a visionary leader, uh, as a declaration that we are victory in, victory in victory because of our God, and he was going to hold his hands up, and he would, he would lead by inspiration in that sense. So as long as his hands were up, people could go well, and they moved forward, and they had victory. And he had Aaron and her, his brother and, and, and friend with him, and uh, as his arms got tired, I mean, how, many, how long can you keep your arms up for? They came and held his hands up. They held his arms up. As long as Moses' arms were up and the unity between leader and people was intact, there was no isolation. Nobody was cut off. And there was a, a oneness and a unity. Doesn't the scripture say where brethren dwell together in unity? There God commands his blessing. It's absolutely imperative that we are diligent to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So isolation, rebelliousness with would rob us of the effects of our, of our salvation. Strange to say. That verse that we so often quote from this pulpit, Psalm 68, verse 6, eh? God places the solitary in families, but the rebellious dwell in a sun-scorched land. They, they stay in the wilderness place. 
the rebellious live outside of protection. Colin and I were just reflecting again about a, a visit to Addo Park some, some time ago, and uh, we were watching uh, at, at a wood hole. We sat quietly for about three hours, and we saw the animals leaving, uh, and we wondered why. And then there was this lion and lioness that came along, and so we figured it, and we watched them. Uh, and then there was a little family of, of warthogs. Uh, and the family moved off along with the kudu and all the rest, but one little fellow decided to linger. He didn't want to go with the rest of the family. He's going to be his own man. He stuck around in this line, and lying there, so obviously figured supper's on the hoof. We're going to, we're going to eat tonight. And, uh, we, and they, the lioness came and sat right next to Colleen's window, it was, which was actually open. I mean, thank God she's still here. Uh, and, and it was right there, and the lion was down in the valley just uh, about 40 meters away. And when, the, when you could see that she was ready, he poked his head around the bush, and the little porky saw him and ran, took flight, fright and just ran straight up into the jaws of the lioness. We watched the kill just like that. But the point I want to make from that story, we've never forgotten it. The isolation factor caused him to become supper for the night for the enemy. Hey? The rebellious dwell in a sun-scorched land. It's so important. Leaders are not necessarily getting it right, but they must be righteous. And we need to learn how to trust that and work with it. And that's why Scripture is very careful about us not uh, easily receiving accusations against leadership or murmurings in that would bring about a divisiveness. And that's whether it's a leader in the home or in the business or in your, ch- in your connect group or church. Uh, wherever we, we go, we need to work diligently with the factors that make for unity and break down isolation and rebellion. Uh, Hebrews 13 verse 17 says that we should... Be careful about these things because leaders can lead more fruitfully when there's a unity, you know, between the lifted hands of Moses and the warfare actions of the people. There's a unity. He says, because uh, if you don't walk with that unity in Hebrews 13, 17, then he says it's harder for the leaders. It's harder to lead, as my predecessor always used to say, it's like herding cats. Have you ever tried to lead when it feels like you're herding cats? Um, and that can, that can really damage the effectiveness of what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, and that's such an important lesson for us all. Hey? We want to be diligent in breaking down the isolation. The, the last one I want to mention is uh, impatience. Uh, Exodus 32. Exodus 32, just, just read one verse, verse, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, See, uh, sorry, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, They gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us out of Egypt, we know he did that. We don't know what has happened to him. Their impatience, because the leader wasn't doing what they wanted him to do when when they wanted him to do it. And as a result of that, uh, golden calf uh, factors emerged. And uh, impatience came to the fore, um, which... Israel needed to learn another way to spell faith, W-A-I-T. Sometimes we've got to wait. Things are not always clear to us at a particular point, but we wait on God. And, and uh, they were learning to do that and gave up on the lesson and ended up with a golden calf um, that caused a, a major problem for them. So the impatience that we sometimes succumb to, and there are many other factors that took them 40 years to, to learn because they were, they were out of Egypt, but Egypt was still in them, eh? May God help us. Let's make sure we don't take Egypt with us. The old nature, leave it behind. Any man being Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. You don't have to carry it with you. You're free. Imagine the little girl who's walking with her dad and suddenly becomes afraid because there's a bee going around him and, and the father reaches out and holds the bee. She thinks, wow, 
okay, I can relax, he's got it. And he's holding it for a couple of minutes, then he lets it go and it flies off. And she starts becoming afraid again. He says, no, 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 Gilly, don't, don't be afraid, look here. In the middle of his hand was a red swelling. He'd taken the sting. The bee was stingless from that moment. He got the sting. He got the sting so she could relax. And Jesus says, look at my hands. I've got it. I didn't come to judge the world, but to save it. I've taken the sting. I don't believe the lie of the devil. And I want to declare in my, all my preparations and thinking through about coming to preach this today. And by the way, I'm going to carry on part two. It's how do you manage the temptations that still come at us? We'll deal with temptation later. But, but not today. Later, not today. Uh, <laughs> in case you're wondering where we're going here. Uh, the truth is that God does not want us to make friends with our addictions. May God give us a horror of sin, a horror of addiction, a distaste for the old. Don't think back to the, uh, the tastes of Egypt, eh? as the Israelites did in those 40 years. Often they would, they would remember back the things they had in Egypt, but they forget the misery, and they think of the other things they had, the, the Egyptian tastes and flavors, and, but the miseries, the miseries of God's people. God wants to set us free from that. Uh, can I, by faith and patience, we inherit the promises. Just close. There's a, a wonderful story. In 1904 to 1905, two years, a couple of teenagers, uh, two brothers and a sister in particular. There were others as well, but two, two brothers and a sister uh, had an encounter with God. It was so refreshing, so profound in Wales that it started a revival. A revival that within two years brought such encounter around the love of God. It's all a cross-based encounter. What Jesus has done, you know, looking at the effects of the cross, looking at the sacrifice for us, that 150,000 people came to salvation in two years, just in Wales. Imagine that. Makes me think when I was listening again and reading again to uh, the Asbury things and other times of revival that have happened. I'm saying, God, do it in Fountain. Do it here in PE. Do it right here. Let this be a place where we come, and as we walk in the door, they get weak at the knees because there's just such a sense of God's presence. They would have meetings. Now, you might not like this because it might, if God comes, it might be longer than you thought. And they would have meetings go on four hours, five hours, whatever. And, and uh, they, one time they were having a meeting, and, and uh, they were in a borrowed premises, and it was like midnight already, and the curator said, you'll have to leave now. We need this building to get clean because tomorrow morning we've got a rental in the space, whatever, you've got to get out of here. And so they, they all just moved, hundreds of them just moved out into the streets, and as they walked downtown into the CBD, uh, they just began to sing spontaneous hymns of praise to God for the gospel, the amazing grace of God. It was just spontaneity breaking out. It wasn't led by anybody in particular. It was just, there was a, a revelation that is bringing fresh encounter with God. And I want to say to you, at the heart of the gospel we're proclaiming in Fountain Vineyard and in the churches that we have any level of influence over is a gospel that if you meet Jesus, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. We don't want people to be free just because you've got pressure of accountability, Pressure of program and, and the pastors and leaders are policing you. Uh, uh, you know, we invite confession. We don't demand it. We invite it. It doesn't make sense to you, and you and you don't have to live. This is the good news. I don't care what the addiction, if it is to Netflix. Can I say that loudly? Uh, alcohol, chocolate, coffee. Uh, sorry, coffee bar. Uh, it could be any kind of. 
fast pattern. You might have arguments, but anything that you reach for, for for the comfort of your soul outside of the gospel has a potential to keep you in addiction, in bondage. And God wants to set you free. Amen. Stand with me, will you? Shall we sin that grace may abound? How does it, how does it go? Damn it, no! Sandy told me a lot of swear in church. Eh? <laughs> Remember that hand, eh? The Father's hand, he's got that sting, he's taken it. Eh? When you give somebody a half five, what you're saying is, he's got it. He's taken it, you're free. Well done for responding to that. So come, Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for your invitation to encounter with the grace of God that sets every one of us free. Lord, I want to thank you for myself right here. I want to thank you for the freedom from anxiety that you have exercised in my life. You set me from free from anxiety and depression. I'm not a continuation of past patterns. Thank you, Lord, that I'm a new creation. Thank you, I see people around me being set free from all forms of fear, uh, brokenness, addictive patterns, recriminations and blame shifting, so many things. Lord, I thank you that your gospel is at work, that you're setting lives free, and you're the God of encounter. You invite us because you're a lover, not a bully. You invite us in your presence, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I'm a shandarakasinda. Bless you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If Jesus walked in this room in person and you were to say, Lord, touch me, touch me, what would that look like? Why would you want him to touch you? What remains of the old nature on you that you'd like to say, Lord, set me free from that? I'm going to invite you. Because this is what requires of us is to humble ourselves. God gives his grace to the humble. If you want to say, Lord, I know there's stuff in my life that I want to move away from. I want to embrace the courage that comes from faith, from encounter with you. I want to be free of my past patterns, my addictive ways. Is anything that God wants to set you free from. And maybe you're not overly aware of it in your own life, but you, you want to stand proxy for someone for whom you've carried a burden for so long. But the gospel of Jesus can do it. He can set them free. I want you to come forward right now. I want to pray over you that this would be a time of fresh encounter. Would you do that right now? You want to to be free from patterns of the past, whether it's in your personal life or the life of someone that you love and you want to see them walking in new new ways. Just come forward. What you need to know, if you're going to respond to the gospel, you need to set aside the fear of man. And what, what will others think? So if you come forward, we're not going to speculate about why you're here. In any case, you might not be here for yourself. Anyway, you've come because the, the compassion of God compels you. The splachnizomai, the compassion of God for someone else who's in bondage. It may be the thing that brought you forward. Just come and stand up here. We want to pray for a, 
a new revelation of, of Jesus are coming upon you. And the hand of God that's marked with a sting that he's taken, the sting of death even is gone. He says, where a law, where a death is your sting, Jesus has taken it. Jesus is taking the gospel of Jesus is so powerful. Put your hands out in front if you're coming up. Just we're going to trust God. And some of you, some of you, um, I know this is a very important moment for you. God wants to do something. Some of you have even got a call to ministry that you've. Oh God, help me. That you've resisted for so long, and the fears and the blockages. Because remember, you're bought with a price. You're not your own. The life you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for you. And if that's why you want to stand before him, to set aside your fears of response to a call that might cost you your life. Pray for a special anointing of grace on you, a revelation of the Father's love to break out upon your life. Come, Holy Spirit. Church, if you'd like to, anyone else would like to come up and stand in the line, then you're welcome to come put your hands out in front of you. But if you want to come and pray for those that are standing, I'd, I'd appreciate you coming to join me. Just come and bless them. Can I encourage you with that? If you're going to bless them, just stand in front of them if you don't mind. You don't, you don't have to know what to say. We're not asking for counseling. Just come and say, Lord, I bless this person. Because when you bless them, there's something in the spiritual realm that is activated on, through God on their behalf. And... Uh, Blessing begins to flow. Heads become clear. Confusion leaves. Peace begins to invade where there was turmoil and angst. We break every fear. The, the, the perfect love of God casts out fear. There's no fear when we're encountering God. He's taken the sting. <clears throat> more in the side you need prayer come and just come and bless I need people to come and just bless come and speak blessing speak favor just come and stand in front of them. if you're going to bring blessing if you don't mind just come and stand in front and just speak God's blessing if you want to be blessed put your hands out and we'll keep praying till we know <coughs> God is on you for blessing thank you Lord we bless what you're doing in this place Lord that's right thank you guys come and bless <coughs> bless what you're doing Lord bless what you're doing Peter, Chrissy, come up here. I need you guys. Peter, come and help me pray. Bless these people. I need you to come and bless them. Come and join me here. Some more on the side. Peter, Chrissy. Yeah, thank you, man. Bless you in Jesus' name. Bless you. Bless what he's doing in your life. Bless him. Bless the call of God. Bless his grace, his revelation to you. Thank you, Lord. Bless him, Lord. Bless him, Lord. Bless his Jesus. Bless him, Lord. Bless you, Lord. We bless what you did. In the name of Jesus, we break every bondage, every addiction. Freedom rules in this place. Great taste led us in that song early on. Jubilee. Jesus is our jubilee. He breaks every bondage, sets captives free. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> Speak freedom. Speak favor. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That's right. 
power in our words when they are the words of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless what God is doing. Blessing them, blessing them. There's no hurry. Those who want to have to fetch kids, you're welcome to do that. We're going to have some tea and coffee, but we want to bless these people. Just keep declaring God's word, God's heart over them. Something changes in the spiritual realm when you do that. So don't be reluctant. Let it flow.
We thank, we thank you, Lord. Thank you. There we go. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. And those who have been listening online, we bless you. If we can help anyone out there, live streaming, feel free to contact us. We'd love to pray for you ongoingly. Looking forward to seeing what God is going to do in the lives of many, many people as he just releases the power of the gospel amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen.